Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. We are back again with Code 47 on the Secret Friends Unite Podcasting Network, a special-ish episode of a, of a type. Uh, we gave you kind of an, uh, an interquill last week by giving us uh, our Q special, Katie, myself, and the awesome Luke Lore. This one is going to be something kind of different altogether, uh, but you're going to find out about that in a minute. But this is episode 69. Not going to make that joke. Uh, I am with my uh, evergreen, green, you see what I did there? Partner, uh, Katie, uh, Katie Q. Katie, how are you on this fine Saturday evening? I have to say, I think that you saying I'm not going to make the joke is in and of itself making the joke. Oh, I know, damn I it. I don't think that's the way to escape that. Busted. I'm doing very good. Thank you. I love it. Good stuff. Awesome. Uh, well, without further uh, delay, uh, oh, again, I am your host, Charlie Carden, Trek Lord of West Michigan, now fleet captain of the USS Grand Pascasi. I've got a little promotion this week. Uh, no, it was, it was I was put in for a promotion by Rob, who is our regional coordinator. Uh, because of my service, I've been in the club now for two and a half years, running the chapter. It's one of the biggest, uh, actually, in all of the fleet globally. We're like top five as far as number Congrats. of members. Thank you. Well, the very first thing I did with that was put in my executive officer, my lovely wife, April, for a promotion to the rank of captain, which was heartily accepted. So we are, I was I was uh, exchanging texts with uh, an old co-worker of mine a couple days ago. She He was saying, you guys are just a house of captains over there. Look at you. <laughs> I guess. So anyway, very excited. We love the club. Uh, I spent a portion of uh, the last couple of days shoring up some events that we're going to be at uh, throughout the state for the rest of the year. So we enjoyed doing it. Uh, and of course, uh, Grand Rapids Comic Con is happening next weekend. Our crew is uh, going to be running that because April and I will actually be uh, at Michigan Chicago, Mission Chicago in Chicago at the McCormick Place, uh, which is the first honest to God real Star Trek, official Star Trek convention that has been around for probably 30 years but i could gab about that all day but for the sake of leaving time open for what's going to be a super exciting segment two of the show we're going to start out with segment half which is news which we, which we don't always have but we've gotten in the last i'm going to say four or five days uh seven short little vignettes uh that have been uh, character portrayals for Strange New Worlds. We're now just uh, a month and about three days when we're recording this away from that show dropping on May 5th. Uh, so we got, and I did, I, I, I posted a link because I didn't want to forget it, forget them all. We got portrayals of <clears throat> La'an Noonien Singh, uh, Lieutenant uh, Erica Ortegas, uh, Hemmer, which is, he's an Enar, which is a type of Andorian that we met in, uh, that we learned about in Star Trek Enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Mabenga, who is a holdover from the original series recast, obviously. Same with Christine Chapel, Nurse Chapel. Uh, Spock, people have heard about him, I think, maybe here or there, I don't know. Not a totally unfamiliar character. <laughs> uh, Commander Una Chin Riley, or Number One, uh, who's getting a full name for the first time. And 
my doppelganger, my namesake, that would be Captain Christopher Pike. It's the hair. Uh, who I will, uh, debating whether getting a getting a photograph or an autograph of him because he is going to, Anson Mount is going to be a guest at uh, Mission Chicago. So I, I you think. You obviously will. Why is that even a debate? You just said I, he was your namesake and doppelganger. I, I just, I know. I just, I, and I've been saving my money, so I guess I can do <laughs> I guess I can do it. But um, I was I was talking to the pre-roll. I thought, I, I, uh, what a kind of a different smart move I think this is because you'll remember it's several weeks back uh, that we got a trailer drop for the you know the Obi Wan Kenobi show, which is going to be out on May twenty fifth. Now May twenty seventh, they moved it two days. Oh my god, uh, there was a big <laughs> big big uproar in the Star Wars community a couple of days ago, uh, and that was very dynamic and packed with action and all this different stuff. And then we got this quiet little unassuming little you know Pike uh, riding his horse in the snow with a big white beard and a couple of cut shots of this and that of everybody else in space kind of underwhelming little teaser trailer for this show. Now we come back with this, these seven different vignettes highlighting the characters, but we're still getting what is obviously uh, some high action moments from the first several episodes of the series. I think I think they did pretty well with this. I, I, I thought that they were pretty cool. And I know that you said you hadn't seen them all, but even if you've seen a few of them, I think you get the yeah. taste of kind of where it's headed. And I think, I think yeah, you can definitely, it seems like it's got... You know, maybe a little bit more fun. Um, not that Discovery isn't fun, but just kind mm. of a, it seems like it's going to be leaning a little bit more into the kind of like the campy fun, maybe. You're right. Way yeah. To say that of the OG series, which I always loved. So seeing it kind of in a new twist so that it's not like campy cringe. Right. No offense. No offense to the TOS lovers. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, and like I said, and, and I, I walk the line. Um, I, I think I have more interest in this show overall than allegiance to TOS because I grew up on TNG. So I, I'm more fond of that aesthetic and I love season two of discovery. So I'm really ramped up for this. This is going to kind of be the, the yeah, view, the, the, the viewing for me, the, the thing that I'm the most excited about. Yeah, it's definitely a solid cast. It seems like they're rounding out um, a really good group. So I'm very excited to see where it takes off. Cause I did absolutely love them when they were kind of crossing into star Trek discovery. So I was really excited when they said they were going to do a spinoff series. For sure. So that's it for the news shortly, but let's jump right into Mission Logs. We have two episodes of Star Trek Picard, and it was funny. You and I had a, a schedule kerfuffle that we didn't think we were going to have an episode until later in the month. So looking at that, I was going to stack. We were going to have to talk four episodes <laughs> of Picard, and then and then the second segment we were going to do, and it was going to be this big mess. But thankfully, we got things all sorted out. So this episode is coming out on Monday the fourth, my wife's birthday, as a matter of fact. Uh, so I better get I better get this done right away. So I'm not <laughs> messing around with it on Monday. Uh, but yeah, we got two episodes right. uh, of Picard. Uh, we have first and foremost. I'll, I'll do the first one. You do the second one. Uh, okay. We have episode four is Watcher. Uh, with time running out to save the future, Picard takes matters into his own hands and seeks out uh, the help of an old friend. Meanwhile, Rios ends up on the wrong side of the law and Girati makes a deal with the Borg Queen. Oh, my goodness. A lot of stuff going on. What's your take? Um, I both loved it and I didn't like it. Okay. If It was very conflicting for me because I, I love where – and this is going to kind of lead into the – to my feelings about episode five too. Sure, oh, of course. But I really enjoy where the story's going. I don't necessarily enjoy how they're getting there, if that makes sense. It feels like they're playing fast and loose with the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. The ending, like specifically the ending, where because Girardi tell you know Agnes makes this deal with the Borg Queen of saying, "Hey, if you help me, 
I know you're just as lonely as I am. I know you're just as depressed as I am. So between them needing me, we can chat, have some girl time, and just hang out. And then she leaves. Like, she immediately breaks that promise to her and just mm-hmm. leaves. And I'm like, that didn't that didn't feel very Agnes to me. Right. Like, it seemed like she that would be something that she was actually craving, especially because she has this draw towards the Borg Queen. Right. So it led into the Borg Queen's actions of episode five. But I was like, I felt like there were other ways to get there. And just like, you know, I know Seven is, you know, she's always been kind of socially distant. She mm-hmm. was Borg. She's always been a little aloof, but she's never been just like continually aggressive. And right. she just felt very, very like her and Rafi are at each other's throats this and like these past few episodes. And it just felt very strange with the way that they were creating conflict where I'm like, there's enough going on where you don't have to have the characters at each other too. Right, right. Unless, and again, this is probably the the pitfall of watching this episodically as it evolves to to see if there is some kind of payoff potentially down the road for that kind of thing but i agree with you that yeah they're kind of they're kind of all over the place what do you think about the the the, the, the social commentary with rios's situation does that does that speak to you is that a little is that a little too on the nose does does it does it i does it pair really well with the the sanctuary districts that that are backed up against what happened in the two two-part ds9 episode the past tense which actually happened down in san francisco so still in california um i thought that it it, they did better with that than they did with um, Guinan's kind of lecture to Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those things where I'm like, this is where having a wider group of writers, a more diverse group of writers would have mm-hmm. maybe helped. Um, because it seemed like they, they, did, they didn't shy away from some of the stuff as far as like the ICE detention centers. Right. And, you know, the fact that they will just deport anyone and that there was a lot of violence. But I was like, you know, honestly, he probably would have been shot. Like, right. and there, I really don't see Rafi being able to leave after she got in a, the face of an officer and started mm-hmm. screaming at them in the police district and then stole a cop car. Like, right. like and, I don't and, see how they were able to get away with that and not end up getting shot. It was a bit, they used magical technology stuff or whatever. Yeah, it was. It's, it seemed kind of unlikely, but it, you know, if you think back to like Star Trek four and when, uh, you know, Kirk and McCoy and, and, uh, Jillian Taylor were in the hospital and they were able to get, Chekhov out of there just by rolling his stretcher through the, you know, through the, into the elevator beam, you know, like they did get shot, you know what I mean? Or they didn't get right. stopped or something. It was all very like, you know, great timing and this door opened at the right time or this door closed at the wrong time. Or, you know, the, the, I used the, my tricorder to make the, what was it? How did they stop the bus? They, they shot oh, the it, wheel out or they, they used no, the they tricorder. Used an EMP. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. yeah, future technology, same thing with, you know, this that like, you know, McCoy showed up and he was like, let me stick this gizmo on his head and it fixed his, you know, it fixed what was wrong with him in two and a half seconds. So, you yeah, know, it just seemed like if they were going to be writing about like police brutality and ice overreach and that sort of stuff, then they needed to like, it seemed like they were only going to talk about it when it was convenient for the plot points. And then when it wasn't convenient, they were like, oh, no, that totally wouldn't like. That, that totally wouldn't happen. Like this is totally fine, and they were kind of like right. waving it away. So it didn't. It just didn't feel very real in that yeah, aspect. No, I hear you. I well, yeah. It, it which of course you want and you'd like, mm-hmm. especially in this kind of modern era of storytelling, for the present to feel a lot realer. Where the present of you know 1986 and Star Trek IV mm-hmm. was very. It was a very satirical take, and you know it was like you know what is exact change and double dumbass on you, and it just taking every 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 bit for a laugh. But with this, they're kind of. So, yeah, I, I get where you come from. All right, episode five. That's you. 
All right. Um, Picard discovers an important person from his past may be integral to the divergence in the timeline. Q continues his manipulation of the timeline, taking an interest in Dr. Adam Song. Seven and Rafi attempt a daring rescue to, um, of Rios, while Jurati faces the consequences of her deal with the Borg Queen. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun, indeed. I, I like this episode better myself. Um, mm-hmm. This was, uh, yeah, it was uh, a lot of different elements, obviously. You're tracking the plot in, in different kind of quarters. Uh, in France, uh, you have the fact that the Borg Queen is able to uh, manipulate technology and make a 911 call, or whatever the French version of 911 is, get an officer out there uh who she then takes hostage uh and then obviously agnes is alerted uh to this and has to um you know grab grab a working shotgun out of the abandoned uh that's been abandoned for over a century yeah exactly (laughs) but but there's a working shotgun there so that makes sense Mm -hmm. um and yes and she's able to you know essentially uh mortally wound the board queen um but the whole thing about the board queen is the board queen is merely a vessel as mm-hmm. all Borg, as all Borg are, and then she—it's clearly uh, impacted that the Borg Queen is in her head. So it's a little bit like you know Baltor and Ca- Baltar and Caprica Six from Battlestar Galactica, uh, and so now we're dealing with that. So it casts a little bit of a light on who that mysterious masked Borg individual was that we saw back in Episode One that blew up the fleet of Starfleet ships. Mm-hmm. You know, as through some twists and turns, feels like that's going to be Agnes, but we're going to find out. Um, and we meet Picard's ancestor, the very lovely Rene Picard, uh, you know, obviously a, a, a name that can play both ways because that was his, his nephew's name uh, mm-hmm. in the original series. Um, but yes, the first Picard who, uh, who dips their toe into space, which I think was established before the series, but I think it was, it was obviously mentioned in Admiral Picard's speech to Starfleet Academy in episode one. So mm-hmm. they were kind of, they were kind of teeing that up, but yeah, you see that she's part of this Europa mission, which we got a little tease for at the end of uh, episode uh, four, uh, which we didn't mention uh, at the end of episode four, Q's, you know, failure of a snap. So his, yes. or his, yeah. Yeah, his powers are, you know, you were left to believe maybe at the end of the episode that his powers were missing, um, but then you see in this episode that they're still functional or some such because that comes into play with uh, the return of um, Adam. Brent, yeah, Brent, Brent, Sp- Brent, yeah, Brent, Brent Spiner is Adam Sung, uh, and then you get the return of Issa Baronis as his daughter in this case. So mm-hmm. it's funny how that line traces backwards that data built and designed an android or, or data's uh, you know sung the sung instant built a, a an android that looked exactly like his own ancestor in, in male and female mm-hmm. um so yeah so this yeah so there's only two faces in the sung family apparently uh <laughs> so yeah but um but yeah there was just, there was a lot of threads crisscrossing all over this deal uh and ultimately the episode uh leads us uh to kind of a a heist slash uh, you know, back to the future moment where, you know, you got to make sure that mom and dad kiss so that history doesn't change. They've got to make sure that this Rene Picard, the astronaut who's, you know, suffering from anxiety and depression, uh, that she doesn't pull out of this critical Europa mission because there is uh, much like a, an old episode of TOS called The Return to Tomorrow, where uh, a, an Air Force pilot from the past accidentally gets caught up into the Enterprise uh, because the Enterprise traveled back in time, they realize that they have to return him to the present because he has a son who's going to go on to be an astronaut and do something critical that's going to change history if they don't return him. So this is this is the same kind of thing. So this is all the people. Is she supposed to be on the Europa mission? Is she, though? 
You think you, you think that it's a misnomer? Mm, I think that she's the red herring. You think so? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, tell me. Tell me. Because theories are abounding in my little brain. Okay. Okay. Because the only thing Picard knows about her is that she went to Io. She there's no record of her going to Europa. Mm, okay. So I'm wondering if Q sent them on this little goose chase mm. because he's actually messing with Sung because now Soon's genetics and genetic engineering is working. What was the Confederation all about? Human genetic superiority, baby. Mm. Uh, you saw Adam Soon in the first episode. What was that? A human future is the best future, or whatever. Human yeah, you're whatever right. You're right. So he's yes. kind of he's the Confederation's Gandhi or Jesus. You yes, know, he's like exactly. the guy. Okay. Exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. But there's also there. I'm not entirely sure that Q isn't trying to help in his own way. Okay. I, well, because because he because he always does. We talked about that in our episode right. last week. I mean, but, even in all good things, he was trying to help in his own way. In the counter mm-hmm. Farpoint, he was trying to help in his own way. So there, I've got kind of two because I I don't exactly know how it all fits together yet. I haven't figured that part out yet. But I don't think that Renee is actually supposed to be on Europa. I think that Q's main target is actually Sun because I think that to get the Confederation. Sung has to focus on genetics, not on robotics and AI. Mm, Because if his daughter passed away, it's very possible that he would then start looking into robotics and synthetics so that he can start building a a memory of that human, you know, brain that would be able to handle human emotions and human capacity. Now that it's interesting. Now something a piece that you may or may not be missing because I know that Enterprise isn't really your jam. There was, and I was just thinking about rewatching this. He appeared. Uh, the actor Brent Spiner appeared as another ancestor. I think the Soon family is becoming is is the new through line through all of Star Trek. And I mean, I don't Skywalkers of Star Trek. I don't know if we're going to see a Soong in Discovery like a thousand years later. God knows. But um, <laughs> there there was a, an ancestor of Soongs in a, in a two part episode. In mm-hmm. two or three part episode. In season four, the final season of Enterprise, who um, what he had done was he had stolen a bunch of embryos of the the basically the the super soldiers, the Khan, uh, mm-hmm. frozen embryos, took them to this distant planet, birthed them, and raised them. And then what happens in this Enterprise episode is that they come back and they steal a Klingon ship and they're going to start a war with the Klingon Empire, and uh, they have to they have to get Sung out of prison to help them stop him and he's a very nefarious character at this point so he's not a good guy um mm-hmm. but at the very end of that spoiler alert from an episode from almost 20 years ago he says well you know i might give up on genetics but robot you know robotics and cybernetics i just might give that a crack might take a couple hundred mm-hmm. years but i'll bet my ancestors could f- finish it was kind of heavy-handed without a doubt well you're, <laughs> well you're right because yeah i just you just caught in that you know, episode two, when our characters end up in the alternate timeline of the Confederacy, you do catch a zoom in of the big, you know, statue of him. He's like Zephram Cochran reaching toward the future saying a good, a good earth is a human earth. You know, that's, mm-hmm. but yeah, he becomes the, you know, earth, you know, earth for earthers as it were. So, oh, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm wondering how that's playing out and why data is so, or not data, uh, why Q is so focused on him versus, everything else that's going on. So I'm still not convinced that Renee is the main target and that Renee is actually supposed to be there. I'm wondering if this is all a misdirection that Q did and that he's trying to maybe break the cycle so that Agnes doesn't become the board queen. If she ends up being the board queen that goes to invade 
or something or stopping the, you know, because again, the Borg are some of the most powerful creatures in the universe. Even the Q continuum's a little bit like, hey, we kind of leave them alone. Mm-hmm. So maybe he this is a whole ploy for him to stop having the Borg actually join the um, Federation. That was the initial plot point of the first episode. Hmm. Right. I mean, I'm exactly. just again, I'm just spitballing theories. There's probably people who are going to be listening to this, being like, "Oh my gosh, Quinn, what are you even talking about? This yeah, is so right. stupid. That's not actually going to be a thing at all. Why no, are we talking about this? <laughs> it, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And again, you know, they've got ten episodes to do it. Is that too many? Is that too mm-hmm. few? Um, you know, do, do they have to throw some red herrings along the way, like the whole you know thing with with you know the Rios and the ice detention? Why was that necessary? It, it, you know, and again, I think maybe the disadvantage of us watching this week by week is that we don't we don't get to see the entire picture until it's over which is just mm-hmm. the name you know it's not it's not a netflix show that you get there's 12 episodes and you know watch them in a weekend uh you know we have to go through this 10-week journey that you know by episode 10 if they do what they do the way they're supposed to that you know they'll sew it all up into a bow and all these little elements of it will either make sense or we'll figure out like you said the red herring of renee picard uh this young lady why is she important? Why is she not? So yeah, you're right. The, the Adam Sung part of it is a whole lot more exciting. Quick uh, Easter egg before we move on um, to segment two, which is oh, it's all Katie. Um, <laughs> is that uh, the when when uh, Q is, is summoning uh, Adam Sung, he uses his Q powers to activate uh, Sung's 3D printer, which 3D prints a business card with a phone number at the bottom. That is uh-huh. a li- that is a live phone number. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, share this uh, in the show notes if I can. Uh, dial this number. There is a message. It's very fun. Oh, it's very fun. Don't let me forget, but I will put it in the show notes. Okay. I say also. Let's just say that is a baller networking move to be like. Here, have my card. I just 3D printed it for you. <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah, exactly. Talk about marketing in more ways than one. So yes. anyway, anyway, I'm. Uh, you're right. Red herrings in the mix, uh, but then certainly seeing the 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 Borgy uh, t- uh, twist that Agnes's character is taking. I- I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I think I think we're going in a good direction. I'm enjoying the season myself. Very much. Yeah, I'm enjoying it too. I'm I'm really excited to see how it kind of wraps up to see if maybe some of my theories come to pass or if maybe if none of them come to pass. Um, I do hope that they get a little bit back more to the core of the characters um, so that they stop having less internal conflict and they can just deal with the external conflict. Absolutely correct. Well, cool. Well, that wraps up uh, Mission Logs, talking about new episodes. And I am, it's funny, I'm doing it for the first time. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, turning the reins over. I'm, I'm getting up from the Helm Council and I'm letting you sit down because you're going to fly this starship. The rest of the show. I am. It's going to belong to you. So I'm go for it, please. You, with my blessing, you're not acting captain. Take it <laughs> All right. Well, so um, just a little bit about, so what we're going to be doing is this is a little bit different of an episode. So instead of breaking down a few select episodes, we're going to be going over the entirety of the first and second season of Lower Deck. So obviously, this will be a little bit more about the vibe. There will definitely be some specific moments. So obviously, spoilers are plenty, but you should know that if you're listening to us anyway. We just kind of shoot from the hip. All right. Now, um, <laughs> as far as Lower Decks go, it is the ninth main series that is set in the Star Trek universe, the 10th, including the companion series Star Trek Shorts, um, and the 12th Star Trek series overall. It is the second series to be entirely animated after the Star Trek animated series. Okay, sorry about that. Um, with episodes running a half an hour and the third series to have been an 
um, animated so or, or excuse me, with the third series to have animated episodes after short treks. That was a mouthful. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, oh boy. Um, it is the first animated original series commissioned by CBS All Access. It was created by Mark McCann. The series is an adult animation comedy focused on the support crew serving one Starfleet is the least important ships. Um, the show takes place aboard the California class USS Cerritos on the lower decks. Um, the show's time period is described as the Star Trek Nest generation era, more specifically 2380 after Star Trek Nemesis. The first season was nominated for the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Animated Series. Go them! In April 2021, it was announced that Lower Deck has been renewed for a third season, which is rumored to come out this fall. I would think so. Just looking at the schedule, um, obviously, uh, we're going to see Strange New Worlds end in the summertime, and mm -hmm. then that leaves things open for really animation for the rest of the year, both Prodigy yes. and this. So yeah, I yeah. love it. Now, Charlie, you have watched Lower Deck pre-Q, i.e. Yes. Yeah. Let's call it the QAnoning. Oh, if oh, God. QAnon, if, oh you did, uh, if you didn't much care for it. Uh, then due to my endless harassment and peer pressure, you gave in and decided to give it another go. Um, from the hints that you're giving me during our off-mic discussions, it seems you may have shifted your opinions, may have shifted your feels, so to say. Um, or say maybe so. you were just so scared of me to tell you, uh, to say that you didn't like it. Since I'm always telling you it's my new favorite show. <laughs> well, it's 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 so weird because you know I I remember having the show come on and just being very it, it's very quirky and whimsical and April and I watched it together and we're totally digging on it and you know I started doing the show not long before the first season came on and I had this rotation of hosts. I started the show with this guy named Alex. He quit on me very abruptly. Uh, I brought in uh, a guy named Rich, who Todd and I knew from the podcasting community, uh, brought in uh, an, uh, somebody else. The three of us were doing the show together. We were just not a great mixture. Um, so that, that ended up breaking apart. And that's when I met Peter, who was the rotating host. And then, you know, uh, you and I have known each other a couple of years, but we started doing this. And I just think we've kind of hit fire. You and I, you and I do really well together. What? Um, so, well, yeah, so, you know, I remember really loving season one of the show, but when it got to season two and I was recording with uh, the show as, as a three, you know, as, as a three person act, uh, the other two hosts hated it, hated season two. Absolutely. Oh, it's, this flies in the face of everything I like about Star Trek. And I tried to watch this with my kid and it's just, <laughs> oh my thing, gosh, no. Yeah, and I'm just like, you I didn't do not watch this with their children. This is adult animation. <laughs> very much so. So you I found known that having seen the first episode. And I, I found myself being really colored by that perspective and not enjoying it in the same fashion. It even spilled over into how I was talking to April, but I'm like, oh, season two is so much raunchier. It's so much raunchier. And April's I mean, like it, it I, definitely I, is. It's got some raunchy moments. Yeah, but I mean, as far as ra ra raunchier, you know, April says, you know, I just don't really think that it's so different. And I'm like, well, you know, but I, I found myself kind of falling in with the crowd. And that's not necessarily a good thing because I obviously, obviously I take Star Trek very seriously, but... The, you know the tone the tone of what Star Trek has been in this new golden era that started in 2017 when discovery dropped is that it's 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 very synergistic it's you know the these these the individual parts you know form together uh the, the sum is greater than the parts look at the marketing mm -hmm. guy I forgot what the hell synergy means but you know <laughs> you know you know what I'm talking about you know, yes. individual parts make make the whole greater and the individual parts in Star Trek 
our variety. It's IDIC, infinite diversity and infinite combination. So just because this is cheeky and it takes a different format and it plays a little fast and loose with Canon, but it still does something that's not all the way out there. Um, it still had these just a lot of really wonderful moments. You know what I mean? So I did, I watched, I rewatched the show over the last two months that since we decided to do this segment and, um, you know, there, there were some eye rollers in season two that it, it, the most egregious one would be that, you know, the one with the, the Mugatos and the Mugato Gumato oh, yes. one. And then, and then again, in the, in the, in the, in the holodeck episode, the I excretious where I'm like, Oh, I, I shit, which is, uh, you know, where they're, you know, the, the all naked, you know, not the all naked workout one. Cause that was in the first episode of the season. Oh, yeah. one, I remember. But it was the one where it's like a super sexy. Yes. program and so yeah. on the sex yeah yeah it's a super so i'm like yeah that you know when boimler when he's you know doing the you know the his butthole you know blacked out i'm like you know, when that came on the first time i coast well this is not star trek to me and this is burr, 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 burr. and i was just i i, I kind of went with the crowd and i don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that i didn't find it somewhat enjoyable um because i i came to I let myself forget how much I love the characters, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the, uh, the, 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 what did they, I, I think I was editing some of these notes, but I might've edited out the part that, oh, the four character is known as the ridiculous four or something because they are, they're absolutely absurd. Oh, um, yes. but, but they're wonderful in the same way. I mean, you know, you know, Tendi, for example, uh, is oh, an Orion. She's yeah. She's, favorite. she's like, you know what? It's a, it's a terrible misconception that all, uh, that all Orion's are, Thieves and pirates, because some of us have not been for as much as five years. Yes, but we're, we're going to go. Vi- we're we're going to go visit my cousin. He's a pirate who lives on a thieves' moon, and he's going to be able to help us out. Yes, and then you find out that she's the what the mistress of the winter constellation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she, she's like I've been trying to put it behind me because yeah. she's because she's I don't so. Really ha- tell people it makes me really uncomfortable. I know, but yeah, she's so she's just seems like she's very much this you know sweet little dainty snowflake. But yeah, she's mm-hmm. it's, it's just. It's just it's fun and Mariner is so. Uh, what can, why, what can you? But back to you. I'm, I'm talking more. This is you. You you. Talk. No, that's okay. And I think that you hit on a really a really great point with Tendi right there, which is one of the reasons why I love this series so much is because the characters are very fully realized. So even though a lot of it's very tongue in cheek and very absurd and very silly, the characters themselves have a lot of heart. So and you see that in the first episode because you know I I'm going to kind of riff off a Todd a little bit, even though he's not here to defend himself. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, oh, no. Listening to this later, he could be like, that's it, Katie, you're not coming on SFU anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he kept comparing it to Family Guy. And I would say yes to a certain point, maybe the early Family Guy episodes where there was still a lot of wit and a lot of self-awareness to them. Because like, even in the first episode, you get, okay, you get Mariner, who's supposed to be the aloof badass who doesn't like anyone who takes no prisoners and who just wants you know to buck in the face of starfleet no matter what and you've got her counterpart boimler who follows all the rules has zero demerits even the captain says that's disturbing that you have zero demerits like it's kind of a joke that he is just you know he's an ass kisser 100 all the way mm-hmm. you have tendy who shows up 
She's, you know, first Orion in Starfleet or one of the new Orion Starfleet has uh, never been on a ship. This is her first assignment, you know, wide eyed, glassy. I just super excited to be there. You're thinking, oh, she's naive. She's just going to get into the mix of it and everything's going to go blow up. And then Rutherford's kind of shown as almost like a smooth kind of guy where he's got this date and the big focus is his date and it's going Mm -hmm. really well. And you're thinking, okay, so you've got these kind of stereotypical archetypes. And by the end of the episode, all of those archetypes have been completely pushed aside. Like Mariner ends up taking Boimler on as her mentor. Boimler lies to the captain to save Mariner's ass. Rutherford ditches his date because she didn't know what why a red alert would override door function such and such. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just the too nerd. Too, ner- right. too nerdy. And right. Tendi is sitting there completely covered in zombie black throw up ooze. And, you know, Beckett makes a joke about, uh, you know, oh, are you still happy to be here? And she's like, this was the best day ever. <laughs> so you just have it where yes they are stereo stereotypes in quotes mm-hmm. to a certain extent but they are very quick to eschew that to make it so that the characters have a lot of complexity to them which is what mm-hmm. i really enjoy about it right and then you also have just like stupid stuff like you know q showing up and then basically telling him to buzz off they're like we're done with this weird space shit right now q go away <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of ups and downs with, with all of the characters. Boimler has this quest. And it's funny how they, they kind of subvert uh, something in Starfleet that actually is as normal as promotions and demotions that don't involve you just getting kicked out altogether. Like, mm-hmm. great, exa- great example in the, the best of both worlds, the big Borg two-parter that, that spanned between seasons three and four of TNG. When Picard was taken by the Borg and transformed into Locutus, Riker was promoted to the rank of captain. Mm-hmm. And at the end of part two, when he was rescued and back and everything, you know, he has this scene at the end of it where he's talking to uh, uh, Shelby, uh, who Elizabeth Dennehy, the guest star, who then goes off. And then he says, well, everybody's, Riker says, well, everybody's worried about my next job, but, uh, you know, I'm considering my options and it's nice to know that I can do some different shit. And then the next episode, he, he's back to commander's rank and he's back to his old job and it's never discussed. You know what right. I mean? So. So it's funny. So apparently Starfleet is not like any kind of modern military where you either advance in rank or you you get kicked out or you retire. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go up. You can be, you know, that's that's what the whole show is about. Boimler's desperate to rank up. Mariner doesn't want to rank up. The other two just kind of putts around and they're like, we like doing our job. Or, or that whole episode where Rutherford is, I'm going to try all these different jobs because I just haven't yes. found the real me. You know, and then in the end, it's funny. And everybody, he's expecting all of his senior officers come crashing down on it and they do the big, that is the greatest idea I've ever heard. I'm so glad right. that and you want to try really, out security. Yeah, yeah exactly. Really Everybody wants you to, you know, to, to thrive at what you want to do. And I want you to be the best at what you have. And uh, the security chief calling him baby bear. Just oh my every, gosh. gets me every time. Right. I like, <laughs> what, what, is, what is that? The, the, the big, was it a Shanks? Is that his name? Who apparently, I think. Shanks, yeah. Who, yeah, who yeah. apparently dies at the end of season one, but then he's back. And yes. then they put all this mysticism around. You know, he has his PTSD about why he's not dead. Though. Well, they can't talk about it. Uh. Yes. <laughs> you have to fight up a mountain of, you have to fight these men to get up the black mountain or something. And it's oh like, my gosh. crazy. Oh but my again, God. it's making fun of a trope of, characters would die and then just come back like stuff was always happening and there'd always be these weird reasons why they would come back and it takes that spoof or you know that kind of cliche of star trek and then spins it around and makes it something meaningful and something that's kind of fun 
Right. Right. And they did. They, they took something very serious like the uh, the Children of Tama, which would be the, the Darmok episode in early in season five in TNG. And they introduced your first uh, Children of Tama character in uh, Lieutenant Kayshawn, is it? Because he had an episode early in season two. Yes. Kayshawn, his eyes open. Um, where they, he is a puppet. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they he were, became a puppet. <laughs> the, the whole the whole episode, uh, it was like the it was the Easter egg episode where they they had to clean out one of these. Uh, the uh, traitor, uh, like the one, like the guy who kidnapped Data in the season three episode, the yes. most toys. They had to clean it out, and it was just full of like you saw the skeleton of the giant Spock that was in an episode of the animated series. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, but it was just yeah. At the end of it, he gets turned into a puppet, and it and but it, he goes on to be you know kind of an endearing character, and they're they're really riffing on his inability to to work with the universal translator. So they they do pick and they they have fun conversations like talking about. A bit character from you know like Roga Danar from which was from a season three episode of TNG who was this genetically hardwired warrior that you know snuck through you know oh he had beautiful hair you know he mm-hmm. says Boimler says and then Mariner says oh, we're talking about super badasses not some lame ass that nobody knows who the hell you're talking about right. so it's just they're so 21st century in the 24th century that you're like it's fun and relatable in a way that no matter how regular big people Star Trek tries, Lower Decks is really, got, they really nail it, even if sometimes they do they do go too far. But the, the whole show in general, and again, I, I, I'm i glad that I've come back around and I enjoy it more, is just absolute Easter egg haven that I get all the Easter eggs when most people just can't possibly. Like when, when Boimler ends up on the Titan in, at the end of season one. And then in season two, they do the transporter duplicate thing. So there's two of them. Uh, so <laughs> the one, the, there. Wait, uh, I know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Because the exact same thing happened to Riker. So yeah, so one of them gets to stay on the Titan as a lieutenant. And then Boimler gets demoted and sent back uh, to be uh, on the Cerritos again, but yeah, even as the door, door closes, he's he's like, you know, uh, oh yeah, he 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 clone names himself William Boimler. So talk about the ultimate escape. And it says right here, the begins to pal around with Riker. The captain offers him Rimelin ale and calls on the computer to play Nightbird, which was a song in the episode with the transported duplicates in TNG that Riker mm-hmm. was not he was not able to play. But he was doing this concert, and that was Troy's request because she wanted him to fuck it up while he was playing it. And then they, yeah, they, he he got away without having to do it. So, and I um, just love, then he comes. Boymore comes back at the end of the episode. He comes back to the Cerritos, and he goes, "Oh, I got transporter cloned." And then Rutherford goes, "Okay, pay up." And he goes, "Wait, you took bets on what would happen? How would you know I got transporter clones?" Rutherford goes, "I don't know. It just seemed like a Boimler thing to do." Oh my gosh! <laughs> like, I it's know. just like those really simple, easy jokes is just. Again, the entire show is just very well written in that sense. Right. I love talk about some of the weird characters. I love Dr. Tana, uh, who is the the CMO. She's yes. a Cation, which is basically a cat person. Mm-hmm. The cat the cat jokes that they make at her expense. My my still my oh, favorite yeah. the still my favorite will be well there's a couple, but an early favorite was uh uh, they were standing in the mess hall, and, and Mariner turns around and bumps into her, and she goes, Arr! "So, and she, oh, she has a plate full of nachos and yes. smears in her head, and, and Mariner goes, "Who the hell knows that a cat likes nachos?" Yes, <laughs> that was. <laughs> Or the fact that they don't give her real cat noises every yeah. time she like meows or hisses, you can tell very clearly tell it's just the actor meowing right. or hissing, which again is very classic Star Trek because they right. didn't 
dub in different sounds. It was very obviously whatever they had like an animal esque type character. It was just the guy going right. I mean, I I loved, uh, and again, it has to do with the the episode where uh, you know uh, Tendi is desperate to downplay her Orion pirateness. That their whole mission in that is they have to replace this fertility dollar, whatever it is that that Doctor yes, Tana wants to come to the box. And, and in the end of it, the fertility totem is destroyed. Um, but when they get it back to the ship, Tendi's just absolutely prepared to get blasted because she screwed up in her mission so totally, which was super important to her. That was the whole reason. That was the, her whole drive for that episode. And and Doctor Tana's like, ah, kid, all I wanted was the box. And then you see her take it back to her office, and she opens it up and she hops in it. And, and it, it, you, you're a dog person, right? Do you have cats at home? Do you have cat? Oh, you st- did I lose you? Oh, I was. I literally have one on my lap right now. Oh my! See, this is the difference of me skimming around watching notes. Oh my god! Well, that was the yeah. Just to watch her jump in. If you, anytime you see a cat with a box, how excited mm-hmm. they get! Oh, her um, eyes got here like her pupils got super. Yeah, super big. and she was like, "Oh, that's the stuff." I. I can't believe one of my cats has not cat bombed us while we've been here, but we have three cats here. We love cats, so the cat humor speaks mm-hmm. to me. So you're right, I have I did watch season two in particular with an entirely new lens because of this. So I'm very grateful. I thought that that was pretty awesome uh, that we had a chance to do that. So um, what what else? What you know? What other episodes kind of kind of jump out at you? What you know? What what haven't I talked about? Well, I mean, we've been kind of kind of going around so i would say that probably like you've definitely hit on some of my favorites which were the um uh we'll always have tom paris which again all of the um let's talk about some of the cameos because the cameos again you have Riker showing up with the titan and his his stupid going to warp give me warp in the factory five six seven eight like and then you have him when boimler comes back and they're like oh does you know does he play the drum because yeah all the time kind of obsessively actually it's a little disturbing oh my god (laughs) like again just the ability for them to laugh at themselves and you have you know troy there talking about people uh she immediately calls out I know who we need to talk about. Oh, talk about Jack Ransom, Commander Jack Ransom, Jerry O'Connell, voiced by yeah. That one was which one did he was it? uh, It wasn't temporal. Which one? Which one did he show up in where they were doing the? um, Is that Crisis Point? Or oh, you talk when when he gets the weird god powers. That was a no, no. That was season one episode, or that was uh, season two episode one, which was right. also phenomenal. But I was thinking of the one where they uh, have to, um, oh, they're uh, on the planet, and he has to fight that guy, and it's kind of her or him and Mariner interact a lot. It, w- it wasn't Crisis Point because that was her wacky holodeck program. Was that the? Hold on, I'm I'm skimming. Through. Oh. oh yeah. it- was it the the Veritas temporal, one where they're on trial? No, I think that was temporal. It might have been actually temporal edict. Temporal edict. Because that was the buffer time. Yeah, that was the buffer time one. Oh, the buffer yes. time. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so where yeah, they, they yeah they get captured by the crystal guys. Right, and, <laughs> and then, then yeah. They make the law, they make the Boimler effect law where everybody has to have, uh, as, can put as much buffer time as they want. So basically they can slack off as much as possible, as much as they want to make sure they have the, you know, solid mental health to do what they need to do. And Boimler is freaking out because he's like, I right. love rules. I love timelines. I don't know if this is a good idea. And the episode ends with them making the joke about the most important person in Starfleet history, which is 
Chief O'Brien. You better, but yeah, and Boimler's, yeah, this is, yeah, they flash <laughs> in. Boimler is the absolute, the absolute laziest person in Starfleet mm-hmm. of all time. You know, a thousand years. In, so basically in Discovery time. So yeah, that's, yes. what, that's what they're teaching in Discovery time is that Chief O'Brien is the most, which you know what, you can't, with all that guy accomplished, he was. I think he was. He had the most, uh, he was in the most episodes of Star Trek ever. Was he or what? I Actually, I think I think he might be second to Worf, if I'm nope. not mistaken. Worf is second. He's really? Like, I actually looked it up when they made that joke. And I was like, why? I'm like, because I was laughing my ass off. But I was like, why did they make that joke? And um, I found out that he had the most episodes. Worf was a close second. Unless you're counting... Um, Gene Roddenberry's wife, who, if you're counting her time as the ship computer, oh yes, technically because she was the computer voice. I'm going to have to look this up now because yeah, yeah. that actually Uh, because Worf was in seven seasons of TNG, almost every Mm -hmm. episode. He might have. I almost don't know if he ever missed any. He was in DS9 from season four to seven, and then he he was in four films. So that's Brian O'Brien was in DS9 too, though as well. So that's. Right, but he only was in a handful of episodes of TNG. So I don't know. We, did, we don't need don't need to get caught up in the minutia. But I agree. I agree with you. I think he was. I, I totally agree. So okay. So uh, as we start to wind things down, any episodes that you think were not were like they were that are not your favorites. Um. No, I love them all. Ooh. I say. Well, and that's thing. I have to think about which one is my least favorite. And um, I say there's so many ones that have a very like fun moment to them. Right. Yeah. That's you're absolutely correct. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) because I was like, well, maybe the moist vessel, but then the entire side plot with Tendi screwing up that dude's spiritual ascension. ascension. And he's like, finally gets ascension, and he's like, oh, this is really painful. There's a the universe is on the back of a koala. Why oh. is it smiling? What does it know? Oh, my God. Okay. So it's kind of hard to find one that was, like, funny but not – that didn't have impact. Right. Or something like that, or that didn't have impact, but I was like, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah. I would say – Oh, that's that's difficult. Maybe much ado about Boimler. Maybe would be my my least favorite, but I'm putting that in quotations because I still oh, very much enjoyed it. That, oh, that was with him, and he was the trans- he, the he transporter fuzz. Yes, and they, they're going to, they're going to what's essentially the farm upstate. So they're like, oh, they have we have all these misfits, and we have them on a ship that's going to what is it, the colony or the whatever. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's the farm where, you know, that's where. It, but no, see, now I got to take that back because it's got the dog in it. And the dog oh, is hilarious. Dog, dog, the, do, makes, dog the dog? Yeah. Yeah. Tendi makes this like pos- demon possessed dog that can talk. And again, just shows the absolute wholesomeness of the show overall because this entire time she thinks it's a normal dog. And as it's flying away at the end, Tendi realizes that it's not a normal dog, so she goes, "Oh, dog, you're you really are a freak." And the dog turns around as it's floating away and goes, "I know. I just didn't want you to worry." Oh, <laughs> my my favorite, and again, I think it was in episode ten of season one's uh, No Small Parts. One that was a a misnomer was a. Uh, <laughs> 
Tendi and, and Peanut Hamper, the Exocap. Oh, that one was also very good. I loved, I started really seriously watching TNG <laughs> closer to the end of season five. And the, the Exocomp episode was, um, was in early season six. And it, it was a joke around my family because there was a, there's a line in that episode where Data says, I have found out that the Exocomps are a life form. And at some point here in this house, I live in the house I grew up in here with my mom and my brother, somehow it turned into a reference to a pudding cup and I've discovered the pudding cup is a life form. And so that's why I have always loved that. So that was, but I, I, yeah, I love the, I love peanut ham because she was like, you know, she's like, you know, I have selected a name that is the cutest or whatever. I picked Peanut Hamper. Tandy goes, that is so great. I love it. Oh, my God. Right. Yes. But then, then they get, you think Peanut Hamper is the greatest, and then they get to the end of it. They're like, okay, well, we know how we can solve the blah, 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 this thing and that thing. I don't remember what the exact issue was. But they were like, Peanut Hamper, it just depends on you because you've got to fly in there and do this thing and that thing. And she's like, I'm going to pass. Thanks very much. Right. And, and they were like, what? And said, I, I just joined Starfleet to piss off my dad. I don't want to get blown up over what? Whatever, and you were like, "What?" And I love that she was painted with a little Starfleet uniform. That was totally awesome. Yeah, but she was, was a super shitty Starfleet officer. That it was, really was. Yes. no good. So yeah, at the end of it, she gets ejected out of the ship, and she's floating in space. And you know what? Fuck you, Peanut Hamper. That's exactly what you right. deserved. Exactly oh. what she deserved. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to ask you something, and then I forgot. Oh shoot, this is why we just get talking. And then I just get so excited about stuff and I can't remember. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I, I was going to say F you peanut hamper is now the name of the episode. So <laughs> I, think that's a, I think that's a good one to go with. Yes. There we go. Oh my All goodness. Right, so, so who is your favorite character? That is. <laughs> I know it's very hard. That, to that is a tough one because I love Tendi as well, but I think I'm going to have to go with. I mean, arguably, it's it's tough. Who's the main character? Is Boimler the main character? Is Mariner the main character? I feel like it's her, and I, I feel like she's my favorite because she's so she's the one who I think is the most emotionally complex because she wants to be a screw off, but like Peanut Hamper, she wants to piss off her parents, but she's really very capable. And mm-hmm. when she decides to buckle down, she can do some crazy stuff, but she's also just an absolute mess. I mean, the the episode the um, the the. Uh, oh god, I'm already forgetting the name of it. The, her crazy holodeck episode, the uh, it's it the crisis point where even yes. Tendy was like, "Why is your holodeck program so fucked up? This is crazy." Where she's just you know because she's so she's just she's a mess. And then mom makes her go to therapy, and the the counselor is a bird. The one of those it makes it constantly is making fruit references. Oh Don't my be god, a pineapple. Oh my god, but yeah, I would yeah, I, I would go with Mariner. Like I said, I find her to be kind of the most emotionally complex. Uh, you know necessarily know what she's going to do um, where Boimler you always kind of know what he's going to do because he's such a nerd you know and he's such, he's, he's such a brown noser and where Mariner is she's just all over the place and she's always riffing I mean I just even remember <laughs> the line I keep the, the, the plate episode with Tom Paris where yes. Tom Paris is visiting and Boimler is <laughs> it's his first episode back and none of his codes work but he gets trapped in a conduit and he's you know he's got his plate and he you know, the plate starts talking to him and he's like, well, the, the plate says, well, you know, you might want to get yourself checked out. You're talking to a plate. Um, <laughs> but at the end of it, it all works out, whatever it is. And then 
Mariner catches up with him and says, hey, Boimler, how's it going? Did you get your bowl signed by Chakotay or whatever? That yes. just cracks me the F up. I'm Because she was like, she was listening, but she doesn't really care. And so, mm-hmm. and I, I always laugh when anybody ends sentence with or whatever, because that's mm-hmm. a that's a catchphrase on one of my favorite podcasts, which is the, the Weekly Planet. It's an Australian podcast or whatever. So I end up saying it a lot, too. Oh, so yeah. So how about you, Tendi? You're sticking with Tendi. That's your number oh, one. I think Tendi, but I mean, I think that um, Shax and um, Anna are very, very close because yeah. just the fact that like Shax is so just raging all the time, mm-hmm. and he is a um, Bajoran. Mm-hmm. Very like obviously like he was part of the rebellion. And so he's always just got all of this anger. He talks about how like someone makes a joke about how uh, where he learned to throw pottery. If he did mm-hmm. that while he was on he's like, I was fighting rebellion. You think I had time to f- learn pottery? I was there was winning a war. Oh my god! <laughs> and he's just, oh. but he also is so passionate and so loving towards his crew, and he's very very dedicated, which is great. And to Anna's just she's just a crazy crazy animal. She's amazing. I know. And no, I yeah, her, but I feel like I relate the most to Tendi just because she's kind of mm-hmm. spastic, right. uh, a, a little, a little naive to, situ- to social situations sometimes, and just really enthusiastic about everything. And so she's she, she is a part of me, <laughs> and oh, also you know goodness. she's she's got green hair. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. I you're not going to go that short, but and your cosplay, your your first Star Trek cosplay is going to be Lucille Ball. We're working yes, on it, Admiral Lucille Ball. Admiral Lucille Ball, <laughs> I like it. Um, so that's cool. All right, so real quick uh, thoughts about season three uh, overall story when they come back. So we were left yeah, with a cliff. We were left with a cliffhanger. Yeah. So yeah, cliffhanger. Um, oh, I was. I remember what I was going to ask you. How do you feel about how they're treating the Packlets as the kind of like big bad of? kind of the end of season one begin like all through season two because they kind of built up a more concrete storyline through the second season where the packlets became kind of this bigger deal and with their only mention in tng and that one throwaway episode i mean they're definitely stupid still absolutely stupid um, I walk around going red alert all the time to myself for no reason in particular. <laughs> and it's uh, it's red alarm, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's a total, you know, and that it's a tribute to the show because the show is is very, it, it's like friggin' it's the Easter bunny hopping down the, the bunny trail. It's so many Easter eggs. So yeah, the packlets, there's no way that anybody who would be watching that show saying, oh God, I remember the rich heritage of the packlets and blah, blah, blah. They get more airtime than any other species on the show. And to make mm. them the big bad, I and when they're the, they're the absolute dumbest possible villain for the show, just really underscores to what a, what a kind of a brilliant comedic move it is. Because yeah. the, the show is it's it, it's farcical, um, mm-hmm. but it's enjoy it, it's enjoyable in a way that's not stupid. So it's really it's not Rick and Morty, it's not Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and there it is, is a legitimate threat. They turn them into a legitimate threat. Right, exactly. But and then mixing in a little Klingon intrigue, which is always mm-hmm. uh, super cool. I think the Rhinelands would have been a better fit, but you know what? Still having having rogue Klingons. You know, we had that whole Klingon mm-hmm. episode that had the weird name of the Hochtebucha or whatever the hell that that, that episode uh, episode yeah, that nine episode. of season two. Wejuj. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, which introduced, I think we're going to find uh, that Vulcan, that female Vulcan character is going to find its way into the show in season three. I, think. I really feel like they are. Yes. And I think that that would probably be um, 
my favorite episode was the crossover episode where you had the ensigns from each of the lower decks. Right. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. The um, Vulcan ship and then uh, the Cerritos. I think that's probably my favorite episode so far. And I really hope that we see more of those characters and uh, maybe they interact a little bit more at some point. Right. Because in season three, I'd be very happy to see that. Very cool. Good deal. Well, awesome. This was great. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, much like how you and Todd over on Secret Friends talked me into giving up those horrible Avengers comics from the 1990s because I was so I was so I was so dedicated to seeing it all the way through and I was just going to do it Um, this really turned my eyes it kind of turned away you know this let me treat the show for what it was is that it was fun Star Trek can be fun it can be a little bit irreverent um, and it doesn't compromise you know they're, they're doing what they can to stay within the world of canon because again the Star Trek the Star Trek universe as you can see, the big map behind me is is very diverse. So there is a lot of room for a lot of different kinds of stories. So I like it. My my hats off to you. I think this was this was absolutely perfect. So with <laughs> with that, take us out. All right. Um, well, you can always find us online at the new secretfriendsunite.com and hit us up at secretfriendsu on Twitter and let us know what you're enjoying about the Trek world. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can visit TeePublic for all kinds of swag. Oh, yeah. Don't forget that you can find uh, more information about Starfleet International over at Grand Petoskey and Region 13 over on Facebook. And with that, I'm going to tell you, as always, uh, thank you for joining us. Sharing is caring, and to keep on trekking. And remember, wherever you go, go boldly. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server, or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.